Listening to the Food Talk Show. Hi there, my name is Sue Nelson, and for the next 30 minutes we're going to be talking all things food and drink. I'm joined by my fellow presenter Jane Payton, who is one of the UK's leading experts on beer and cider. As you all know, she is a certified beer sommelier and author of numerous books on the subject. But we are very honoured today to have an expert on fish. Probably one of the UK's most knowledgeable experts, I would say, on the subject. The amazing Mitch Tonks. Mitch Tonks, indeed. Um, welcome. Thank oh. you so much. I think you come from hundreds of miles away to be with us. Thank you. The exact other side of the country is far west, nearly as far west as, as you can possibly. Cornwall, yeah. as you but it's nice to be here. Yes, no, it's great. Now, you probably don't know, although I have now got it in front of me, uh, one of my favourite books, of which I have numerous, I've obviously got loads of Jane's books in my bookcase, <laughs> one of my favourite recipe books um, is Fish. Funnily enough, by Mitch Tonks. I love that. It's weird, and isn't I, it? And I really love that page that yeah. fingerprints <laughs> so, so, built on. Um, the reason why I really like this is it's called The Complete Fish and Seafood Companion. I think it was published well over 10 years ago, probably. Oh, yeah, 12, more. 10, 15 yeah, years ago, 10, maybe. Um, and I've always had it because every single page looks at a very specific fish variety, tells you all about it, has a picture of that fish, so you know exactly what it looks like, because actually some of them are quite difficult to you know, to recognise. And then there's a couple of really nice recipes for every single one of the, of the fish in these books. So what I would like to do, if you don't mind, Mitch, is I, I am going to go through my lovely... I might even get you to sign it, actually. I was just thinking about that. And maybe pick out your favourite varieties of fish because sometimes people in the UK just head for cod or they head for haddock or, you know, what they know. Whereas the reality is there's an astounding number of varieties which are great to eat. We have, well, I think, about 45 different species around the UK, and it is some of the best seafood in the world. And, and you're right, people always go for the white fish. That's just Default. normal. Yeah. But what a joy when you discover it, though. Yeah, absolutely. So there's so much to talk about, and we've got so little time. So so let's um, let's let's um, do a little bit of history about how you grew up. So I, knew, I know you grew up um, in Western Supermare in the southwest. Tell us a little bit about... Not necessarily your mum, but your grandmother, who I think was quite a character. My grandmother's a wonderful lady. She was one of many evacuees um, from, from the war. And me and mum used to live just up the road from her. So I, didn't, I would always spend time with her, which was great. And she was always cooking. And I, I think it was just necessity rather than you know, she was a great cook. But, you know, Christmas puddings in October, bread being made, chickens running around, growing green beans, coal man arriving, you know, onions and things drying out in the shed. And there was a fishmonger up the road that used to be called McFisheries. I think many people had a McFisheries near them. And I can still remember walking in. I can, I can still smell that smell of freshly boiled crab and shellfish in the air, heaps of brown shrimps and all sorts of wonderful things. And we would go home and we, I would sit there peeling shrimps, picking crabs. 
And that was really, I, I didn't know it, but that was where my love of seafood really started. You couldn't escape after that, really. I, I couldn't. Face it. <laughs> and, and as a boy, I used to, you know, go out onto the flats in Western Supermare and, you know, there would be people putting up static nets and I'd get out there before the fishermen did and pick a few dabs out of the nets and, and take them home as well as fishing myself. I mean, it was just, just great, great growing up there. Well, that's a couple of things I'm going to talk to you about there. So first of all, dabs, one of the greatest, I mean, one of the greatest things for dinner for me, just dab bit of butter. flour each side yeah, they're butter. slightly thicker than 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 perhaps you think they are just a couple of those great for dinner they are it's Marvelous. Great. i cook them in lots and lots of butter and you know at the moment funnily enough i was speaking to the market this morning and there's lots of dabs around this is the time of year to go out and go out and find them and, and they're marvelous. great marvelous then the other thing is you were talking about the smell of of, of, of fish there now a lot of people be put off by fish because they go oh god i hate that smell i hate that smell but actually the point of really fresh fish is it doesn't smell. It doesn't smell. You get that really kind of lovely ozone beachy smell to it, which is really good. And I think once fish has travelled a long way inland and it's been sat on a fish counter a few days, of course, it starts to transcend in something, something quite different. Yeah. Now, the other thing, of course, is that we were talking about McFisheries. So that's, that's another thing. I remember that as, as a kid. Do you think it's been a good thing that actually the supermarkets have sort of taken over the role of fishmonger now and our fish you know, our independent fishmongers have disappeared or do you think that's a bad thing? Well, I think we're actually in a really, really transformational period because I started life as a fishmonger in 96, which I loved and I wanted to do fish better because I didn't think supermarkets did it very well at all. And over a period of time, I also, you know, apart from luxury stores that had wonderful displays, the, the, the supermarkets didn't do a great job, I didn't think. And, the, it, you know, I think challenging that were a whole load of boutique fishmongers that have, you know, sprung up, which have done really well. But we know in the last month that Sainsbury's and Tesco's have all closed their fish counters. Hurrah! And um, so what that, what that means is, is like really great news for consumers, a bit of a start of a revolution, really. And there are a lot of businesses that have sprung up, including ourselves, in sending fish direct from the port, all portions ready to go for people to... Um, have at home and, and the impact of that is huge because when you think about a supply chain for a supermarket you can just work it out in your mind boat goes to sea comes in the fish is auctioned goes off to a central premises gets cut arrives in a supermarket sits on a on a counter waiting to be sold it could be one two or three days then gets picked up by the customer who carries it around the store who then puts it in the car and drives it home and you just think it's bonkers. Why, why wouldn't I just order it straight from the port and have it sent to my house and cut all that out? So it's a good See, time. See, I actually think the fish in supermarkets is awful. I mean, absolutely dreadful. And I'm embarrassed if you ever get somebody from Spain or France or Portugal and they come and look at our fish counters and you look at the sunken eyes on the mm. fish or they've actually chopped the heads off because they don't have the head there because it looks <laughs> so bad. I think probably Waitrose may be a bit of an exception, but but in general, it just the, the whole system, as you said, doesn't work. It doesn't work. And also, I think people that sell fish are highly skilled. So yeah. if you go to a fishmonger, you'll find somebody that's invariably hugely passionate about what he does and can tell you all sorts of things, got incredible knife skills and could really connect you up with the best seafood. If you think about an experience, you might walk into any supermarket and start asking the person about, you know, the fish and how it's prepared, you're just not going to get that. So I think, in a way, the mall closing and allowing you know, people access to fish online is going to be an amazing thing for us, yeah. So let's go back to Grandma. Mm-hmm. So, so you started um, being surrounded by fish and, and actually food as well. How did you make that transition from that to thinking, oh, I want to do this as a, you know, as a career? And, and, and what direction did you go in first? Well, it was really strange because I the last thing I 
did when I went to school. I worked on building sites and I did anything I could for money, really. And then I got involved in accounting. And at 27, it was I still remember being one of these life-changing moments. I was driving home from London to Bath and I was feeling pretty disillusioned with life. And I was listening to a Paul Weller track on the Wildwood album. Um, all the pictures, I can remember it. It's great. And I just decided I was driving past the Swindon Junction that I would never go back to work in London. That was it. It was all over. There was no... Just that day. That, that, that was moment, it? that was it. And uh, I drove home and I didn't tell my wife because obviously it would have been a very difficult <laughs> she conversation. She you from... <laughs> and I decided that I wanted to open a fishmonger shop. And the reason being is that Henrietta Green had released a book then called The Food Lover's Guide to Britain. And I was reading it fascinated by all these amazing food producers that were starting up. And that really was the sort of start of... Britain's revolution when people started to get more interested in food. And in Bath, where I lived, we had a great cheese shop, a really great um, butcher, and a shop selling sausages, would you believe, specialists in sausages. And I just decided that I was going to do a fishmonger shop. So I went to Port Levin to see a man called John Strike, who was in this book. And uh, I said to John, can I work here for a week or two? And, you know, can you help me? And Annie did. And I just took all all my knowledge of what I thought a fishmonger should be like and, uh, and threw it into this place in Bath and I called it the fish market and it was uh, wonderful. So I went to the fish market a long time ago uh, and uh, I know Bath reasonably well. So you had the, the lovely cheese shop, which is still there. And then that guy who sold sausages, which is right opposite the old green tree. Oh, my regular. My, my the old green club. tree is um, just amazing. It's about the size of somebody's front room. Basically, it? So it is. But I tell you a lovely story that I got to know. You know, over the years, I drank in there twice a day. One, once in the morning for my, I'd set the counter up and go over at eleven, have my Calvados or Somerset cider brandy, then back to work, and then I'd have a pint, <laughs> a pint after, um, yeah. after work. And I got to know all the characters, and sadly, a lot of the old guys have all died in in the pub. They all and, look like uh, Gandalf. I thought they do. They're all. You know, we had this saying: that if did. you if you if you sat on the stool near the near the wall in the corner, that was it. You you next stop, you were out of the pub. You know, it's yeah. gone. But I hadn't been there for about twelve years, ten or t- um, maybe ten years. And I walked in the pub, and um, Tim, the landlord, just looked up and went. Hi, Mitch. Hi, Mitch. Um, yeah. A pitchfork and a cider brandy. I was like, sure, Tim, be great. The guy next to me said, Mitch, how are you doing? It's a nice yeah, girl. Yeah. And it was, it's a proper pub. Yeah, you know, it's great. People still, so I love it. It's good. So opposite that was the sausage shop. Sausage shop and was, yeah. A couple of doors down from that was you. A couple of, well, we and you have to we go were, upstairs, do you remember? Was that, was that it? Yeah. So in 1998, I was two years in the fish shop, not making any money whatsoever. And I was taking fish home and cooking it, reading Elizabeth David, Jane Grigson, and realizing how simple. An amazing fish could be just a simply grilled red mullet, bowl of steamed cockles. And I thought, I'm going to do this in a restaurant because, like, nobody's doing this, right? They'd, every restaurant was quite fancy and I wasn't a chef, so I couldn't do the whole cream sauce thing and everything else. So I decided to open a restaurant. And as one restaurateur in Bath said to me, he said, it'll never work. A, uh, what, is it, what did he call it? He said, a fish restaurant on the first floor above a stinking fish shop. Terrible idea. <laughs> and I was like, but that's the point. You know, the whole point, a, a, it's not a stinking fish shop. But B, the whole point is you'll see the fish and then go upstairs. And, and I opened there and that was in 98. And then in 2000, things really took off. And, and that became 13 restaurants we opened in London. And it was a, it was a phenomenal uh, journey, I would say, and uh, very interesting. Did that get sold? I don't know what actually happened yeah, to that. Or? So what happened was, I mean, you end up becoming a businessman and not 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 somebody involved in fish. Then that's the problem, isn't well, it? it? Yeah, I think in those days were you know the restaurant world was quite different, and you know there wasn't as much technology to control, mm. it, and we, it was a very complicated business to run. But you know, my sort of passion drove it on, and then some investors got involved, and we floated it on the stock market, and um, it was eventually taken over by some shrewd investors that. 
didn't know what they were doing. Well, they just wanted to make money out of things. And in the end, invariably, it all collapses because the heart and, and the passion comes out of the business. But there are still two of them left in London. I'm still proud that they're, they're there. And, uh, and also, it was a great learning curve for me. And now, mm. now we've built something with our, with our business on completely different principles. And, and guess what? It's really successful. Mm. So that is the, um, is that the seahorse? Yeah, so the seahorse was the, um, the start of it, really. I think I, I, when, when I st- was still with um, Fishworks, I knew the writing was on the wall and I always wanted to open a restaurant where I lived. I moved to Brixham because I wanted to be close to the fish supply. And, uh, and the idea is that um, it was me and, me and my pal, Matt, we just decided that, you know, we'd, we'd open a restaurant and cook fish over a fire and make fresh pastas and, you know, create something that was going to be a, a legacy to the world, something that was going to be a bit of a Harry's bar, you know, something that in 100 years time people would still be eating there. And we pretty much created that institution. Now my children have taken the restaurant on my son's head chef along with his partner Bronte and Jake, the original chef that we employed with us, is now chef director there. So it's a really wonderful thing. But sometime, I think, during that, in the second year, I was thinking, I need to do something else. The entrepreneur in me was, was lay silent for a while after a very bruised um, period at the end of Fishworks. And I just thought I wanted to create a restaurant that was in between a chippy and uh, a high-end one like the Seahorse. And nobody in the UK had done that. You'd seen lots of American restaurants on the kind of East Coast make seafood really kind of uh, mainstream. And, uh, and that's what we set out doing. So obviously it started with fried fish, then we grew into grilled fish and all sorts of different things. And, and now Rockfish is a you know very successful, unique group of restaurants. There's nine of them now all along the south coast. In You can't actually help yourself, can you, Mitch? No, I can't. I really enjoy it. <laughs> it just sort of goes on. I love seafood. I, I, yeah, I, I understand yeah. the industry, you know. Yeah. And now we have, you know, we're 400 people strong and I really enjoy um, building a business with with purpose and think that having a business of 400 people is yeah. if you can direct it to really good things you can do something really amazing with it and that's that's really why i do it can we just describe what brixham's like for, for anybody that hasn't hasn't been there so so we've got families generations of people who who have been at sea and and you know you'll get sons and fathers who, who are fishermen um we've obviously got the trawlers that go out and I remember talking to one of the guys there and he said in the old days you used to get off the trawler, you'd been away for two or three days, which I don't think people realise. You'd come back onto the quay, you'd have all of these fish, these amazing fish that, you, that you've brought in that you're going to sell. And he said, we used to feel like rock stars when we came off the boat and then walked down because you had a real status. Um, and they, I don't think that's quite the same now, but but certainly a couple of years ago, I think they felt that the status of that and, and the the nobleness of it, if you like, had sort of disappeared. Whereas hopefully now, Mitch, what you're talking about is that maybe that's coming back. Yeah, I think I think fishermen are, are highly respected. And, and mm. so Brixham is what we're a town of, I think, about 10,000 now. Um, so it's still quite small. Um, I call it a scruffy but beautiful little harbour, and uh, which is what I love about it. It's not it's not polished up like, uh, like some. And ever since I've been there, which is about 15 years, I've been amazed at the characters that I've met. And as you say, fishing families that go back generations, ne- nearly everybody I knew has been involved in seafood and, uh, and fish in some ways. All of them incredibly passionate, incredibly knowledgeable. Um, all of them have made quite a lot of money out of what they do. And some of them are still at sea um, fishing now, which is great. And, and I would say that probably in Torbay, you've got Torquay, Paynton and Brixham. And Torquay was always a place where the kind of wealthy went on holiday and painting was where all the artisans were and nobody went to Brixham because fishermen were there and they were notorious for being two-day millionaires coming ashore and, you know, going completely <laughs> yeah, mad, yeah. which is which is why I yeah. loved it. It was really good fun in all the pubs. And um, 
And now it's gone the other way. So now you've got Brixham, which has become the kind of jewel of the bay now, where actually you've got all this reinvestment going on. You've got lots of people buying second homes. And on the hill now, you can see all the scaffolding going up, people building beautiful places. And of course, they come and want to spend their money in town. So we have bakers, we have coffee shops, we have um, all the stuff that, that really starts. So I've, I've loved watching that. It's been really fascinating. Mm. And if you if you do come off the boats, uh, the way the, the harbour's organised, it's all been done now so that they can the fish can be offloaded, they can be filleted, they can do whatever you want, and they can be packed off and then, you know, get shipped out to wherever it is, sometimes abroad, uh, but, but also in this country. So it's really quite an operation now, isn't it? It's phenomenal. It's a 24-hour operation there. It's the biggest fishing port in England, so it's about £45 million pounds of the fish a year. The, the guys do an amazing job. So 24 hours, the fish is landed, graded, um, and then the various merchants buy it on an, on an electronic auction, and they can be buyers from across the world that are actually buying it. And from there, you're right, it gets shipped off in lorries to, to the buyers of the fish who's bought it. And the fishermen just keep continuing. I mean, some of the boats are a week at sea, some of them are a day at sea. There's diving, line fishing, netting. Um, they're a pretty progressive bunch, you know, responding to all of the environmental issues that, we, that we're facing. Um, so you even find the big trawlers trying to find ways to make less impact. You find, you know, there's a, a lady in Brixham who's worked making withy pots and, you know, she's um, pioneering electric boats. Her and her husband um, only oh. met her recently. I was just fascinated by the story that, uh, that Sarah's, you know, do, telling and also the way she's taking um, the fishing industry. It's brilliant. Um, I know this is slightly political, but what about the Brexit situation? Um, you know, having you know French fishermen and other, other fishermen fishing, as some people might say, in our waters. How's that panning out at the moment? Because uh, I remember this was quite a long time ago. I remember a lot of fishermen really begrudging the fact, you know, that that, that our navy would would you know, really sort of regulate and give them a hard time if they didn't do the right thing and yet felt like other people were allowed to. Now, I don't know how, how true that is, but has that all settled down a bit now? Well, I think the biggest, still the biggest problem pre-Brexit was that we they could fish in our waters, we couldn't fish in yeah. theirs. That was one of the big problems. And then, then it all kind of went through some stuff and there were less licenses granted to the French, which I think has pleased our fishermen. The challenge, I think, has been for the shellfish growers um, who've had trouble exporting and the exporters themselves or the paperwork has really held things up and the transport problems and everything else. So it's not, it's not been an easy ride. But the fishermen themselves, I mean, fish prices are certainly on the move um, and have been uh, for a long time, steadily upwards. And I think that's just because there's more and more demand for the quality of seafood that, that we have. Mm. So the fishermen are in a strong position to reinvest and do things. And I think that's right. I think it's, yeah. you know, they're, they're out catching it. They're bringing their product ashore. And it's great that an open market decides the price for it. Very good. Now, if I can get to the actual book, obviously, mm. that I use a lot, yes. as you can see, because it's full of splattered oil. And <laughs> I do love seeing that. It's butter great. and all it's sorts a, of other things. It's a great compliment. Um, there is a real thing sometimes with, with British people that they say they can't, cook fish and yet to my mind it's actually way easier to cook a beautiful piece of fish and get it right than it is a steak for example i think that's much harder is there still that perception that somehow fish is difficult yeah absolutely i think you know meat is easy we're we're we're, i don't know more in more in tune with it but i actually find vegetables harder to cook and sauce than i do than i do fish um you know getting my head around or or some of the new stuff and, and actually where to get it from but a piece of fish is so easy and i always tell people get yourself a piece of foil or a piece of parchment paper, just add some herbs, add some oil, add some butter, pop it in the oven 15 minutes, about well, 8 to 15 minutes, depending on what piece of fish it is. Done. And done. And then, you know, visit, have a glass of wine, make some, make some veg alongside it, and there's nothing more delicious. Now, I'm going to ask you in my book here, probably, can you pick three or four pieces of fish that you think are absolutely look, the best look for that a you should try? recipe. And then I'm going to ask Jane 
definitely what we should drink with it. Mm-hmm. Now, you're going you're gonna to go for cuttlefish. Now, that's gonna, really interesting yeah. because in the UK, people don't really eat cuttlefish. And yet in there. Spain, it's, it's a big thing. It is, the, uh, it, is the, it is the thing that they eat in Italy and Spain an awful lot. And, uh, and I love it. So I'm going to try and find where it is. But I know there's a cuttlefish recipe in here. And so if we just explain what cuttlefish is, it's slightly, you get slightly more bite to cuttlefish, don't you, than, than, than say squid or something like that. Too, but I think I think what cuttlefish is a is a cephalod like squid, and we land about um, thirty tons of it a day in the season, which is and it all goes off to Spain and Italy. But it's one of those things that you can grill or braise, and I think it's really interesting braising fish because what you get with cuttlefish is the texture of it is like um, sort of pork, you know, pork fat. Really so I'm saying it's got it's got that slight bite to it, and I think people then go, oh, that's not what I expect with fish. But it's like, well, just close your eyes and forget it. Then just taste it, and it it has got a meat Amazing. it has got a meat quality to it. Well, this is the one here. So braise it with artichokes, lemon, and peas. If you've got the book two eighty, that's a great recipe. And um, as we come into spring now, with all the artichokes, peas, broad beans, white wine, cuttlefish cooking away in there, it's awesome. Really, really great. So now I'm going to put you on the spot, Jane. So you've got something that's sort of slightly lemony, bit of bit of you know hasn't got has not got huge amounts of taste. It's got a great texture. Uh, goes together really well with you know that sauce mm-hmm. and so you want a wine a beer or a cider and I'm going to give you three actually you want okay. something that's got enough about it to not be overwhelmed by that texture the fact that you've braised it as well um, Mitch the cooking really the way you cook it the herbs the spices and the sauces will influence what you're going to be drinking as well but for this I'm going to go for a weightier white wine uh-huh and I do believe it's a favourite of yours, Viognier. I do. I really like Viognier. Okay, so a bit fruity and a bit like umphy. It's and like apricot, a little bit of spice, I always yeah, think. Yeah, I love it. It was a mm. great, great wine. Mm. And um, I love the word, the name saying it, Viognier. I like saying that a lot. It makes you sound posh, doesn't it? Well, yes. order it. Well, yep. I am, aren't I? I'm a well, posh I'm bird, not. couldn't you tell? But you're a posh bird. Um, right? And I'd go for a cider. I'd go for an eating apple cider, actually. So I'm going to go for something fruity in Eastern Counties. And then for a... A beer, I'm going to give two beers actually. I'm going to go for a Saison, which is a Belgian style, very dry, bone dry actually. Some people drink it, they think, oh, is that beer? Sometimes I drink and I think it's Fino Sherry, even though I know it's actually Saison. And I'm also going to go for a German style of lager, which is known as Helles, which is light, got some acidity to it and cuts through texture and things like that, but doesn't overwhelm what you're you're eating. What you're eating. Yeah. Right. Nice. After that, Mitch, it's making me hungry now. Uh, another one? Yeah, I'm going to give you um, one of my favourites, actually. Smoked haddock with mashed leeks and potatoes, right? Oh. So oh. there is a smoked haddock producer that we work with in Grimsby called Alfred Enderby. And he makes the best smoked haddock on planet Earth. And, uh, you know, it's a protected status product, 100-year-old kilns, sweet fish with a lovely smoke. And it shouldn't be that ridiculous yellow colour. No, no, this is, this is just this the is best stuff. Proper honestly. stuff. It's really, really amazing. You won't find any better. But, it, I mean... I'm looking at the photo. I'm no, looking at the great. photo now. So so that is, for me, it's like, oh, it's the most comfort, comfort food. And you could have it in the winter, you, could have it, you can have it in the summer. But basically, you've got that lovely, creamy, buttery oh, mash that does it for me. with some leeks in there. And and you've got got a really nice chunky white fish. Yeah. <sighs> Would you have Gorgeous. the potatoes? Well, you cider again, wouldn't you? N- well, I'm going to give you cider beer and wine, but um, you want some acidity with this dish. And yes. there's also to, that creaminess that yeah, you talked about. You need to cut through it a little bit, actually. So cutting through, so you need something zesty 
white wine. I'm going to go for an Albarino with this, actually. And I'm going to go for, um, again, I'm going to go for acidic eating apples cider. You could actually go for a champagne method cider with this one. So it's made in the champagne method. Sparkly with some acidity and dryness as well. And then for the beer, I'm going to go wheat beer. Wheat beers and fish are amazing, white fish in particular. So a German wheat beer or might go for a Belgian wheat beer because there's a little bit of citrus in a Belgian wheat beer. I'm thinking like I'm thinking it. cider and beer with fish more than... I think we need a wine and beer and fish night at one of the restaurants. I, I love think this. you should. Oh, I yeah, think you should. I'm coming to Brixham. Yes. Great. So last one before we finish the programme. Okay, so I've just opened to the sort of um, the king of the fish in... Uh, in uh, Brixham, which is the Dover Sole, <gasps> revered the world over, the most prized catch. And there's a recipe in here for cooking it with prosciutto and sage. So you, f- you lightly flour the fish and then you, and then you fry it and, and baste it in butter. And then you add to the foaming butter at the end some thin slices of prosciutto, which crisp up, and some sage leaves. And uh, just a little bit of lemon, lots of fresh parsley, and then you spoon it over the back of the fish. So you get this crispy, salty ham. You get that lovely sage and you get that lovely butter over the fish, but you've got a firm, meaty fish cooked on the bone, so it's gelatinous and firm and oh, delicious. Okay. See, I love, Do- I love Dover Sole. It's a great fish. Uh, unfortunately, quite often, Dover Sole's a bit too small for me. You, you need a bit of You need a, a pound-sized Dover Sole. Cost you about 20 quid. You need a bit well of depth, don't you, so you can get that really... And it should Dips. be beautifully white. Yeah. I'm going to go for some hops. I'm going to go for a West Coast IPA, American IPA. Bit so you've of hoppiness. got some hoppiness. Hops will cut through as well, and um, if there's texture to the the fish, then it's going to cut through texture as well. Uh, but I'm going to start with a glass of Champagne Method Perry, made out of Perry pears, because we always need a little aperitivo, don't we? And then I'm going to match with either the Italian white wine or the beer, or both. There you go. Do a battle of the bottle. So, Mitch, if somebody's a little bit frightened of cooking fish. If they order direct, get it delivered, you know, the, the, it will be prepared before you get it. So so presumably you can get it yeah. all filleted for you or however, you know, so it's incredibly easy. Can I just can I tell you what we try to do or is that yeah. we're not allowed to no. shamelessly plug no, something? No, 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 please so do. It, I mean, it's been a two-year project during uh, during lockdown to try and kind of, you know, we sent a few boxes to people. There's, there's like meal kits. And I was surprised at the interest and we landed, we have a fishing boat as well and we landed the fishing boat on the quay. And I was amazed how people just queued up with a, carry a bag and a plastic container to get fresh fish and I thought right I'm going to I am now going to try and solve the problem of eating seafood at home so the first one is smell mm-hmm. uh, secondly it's recipes portioning um, and like just knowing that it's utterly fresh so I thought how, how can we do all of that so we set up we we bought some premises that are on the quayside literally 20 meters from where the boats land we've got fishmongers and highly skilled people in there that portion the fish we then pack it in a separate premises so nobody has touched it at all with their with their um, their fish and packaging, and then we have a development kitchen. Where we make all the sauces and butters that kind of make it. Oh, you nice get the and sauces easy. and butters as so well. You can buy all those as well, and then it's dispatched in packaging that's made from already recycled plastic. And the next version will be made from ocean plastic, so you can post it back to us for recycling or just curbside it. And I think we sort of solved every problem of eating seafood at home. So you order before 12 o'clock, it's at your house the next day, <gasps> straight off the boat. Oh, getting straight on that. It's awesome. It's mm. really, really good. So, yeah, great. And, and uh, so what's the um, address of that? So you need to go to the rockfish.co.uk. Rockfish. And if you sign up for the daily notifications, you can just get a notification every morning, 8 o'clock, tell you what's, tell you what's on the market. And you can buy right the way through, right the way up till midnight. And uh, you could even just tick it and say, only tell me when you've got Dover Souls in and we'll tell you wow. when there's Dover Souls in. So it's a great service. It really well, is. We will put a link um, from our website. Oh, thank that. you. That's great. Yeah, no, no, I definitely, I'm going to 
sign up on that when I get home tonight. Um, so thank you so much for coming all this way, Mitch. Really, really appreciate it. Pleasure. Um, I'm glad you've seen my book and that it's used. I love that. A lot. The greatest well <laughs> any author. Can well, really well used. Um, you've been listening to the Food Talk Show, which is syndicated to radio stations across the UK and further afield. Little call out to our listeners in the Wirral. We love our listeners in the Wirral. Our listeners in the Wirral. Um, as well as being available on Audible, Spotify, Podbean, iTunes and the podcast app on your phone. Thank you to my fellow presenter, Jane Payton. You didn't say much because you were just in awe. I was to- totally in awe, but learning so much as well. As usual, mm-hmm. as usual. Um, and thank you to our partners, the lovely people at Produced in Kent. If you want to recommend any future guests, just write to Simon, who's our producer. You can email him on hello at foodtalk.co. UK, and uh, we've got about I think we've got about 300 podcasts now, Jane. If anybody wants to listen to our podcast, I'm going to go on holiday and just listen to all of oh, them. God. My voice on it's every single I'm one, doing. I don't think so. I love it. Um, and we've got topics from snail farming to gin making, so uh, do have a good week. Goodbye. Bye.